Hi, I'm Pastor Den Den. <laughs> and Jan. There's only one time that God actually said to test me, and that was in tithing and giving. And that one time, he said, um, if you bring your tithes and your offerings to the storehouse, I will bless you. And he says, if you don't believe me, test me. And, and, and the thing about it is, is I know that we weren't as faithful as we probably should have been sometimes, but when we were, it always worked. It absolutely always worked. We were blessed beyond measure. Because he said, you know, in that, in that same scripture, he says, you will not believe the blessings that I will give to you. And we were blessed, and I was blessed with a job uh, here for 10 years, with the ministry here for 10 years. And I was blessed almost every day that I walked in here. Uh, you know, I worked with great people, and we had more fun than you can ever imagine. And uh, we even got some work done. And uh, I enjoyed everybody that I worked with. But I loved the kids, and they blessed me every time I was with them. And we had we had a great time, and it was it was it's so good to hear back from them, and that's the blessings that I receive, is hearing back from the kids and asking me to conduct their weddings and and to and just they they want to talk because they're having problems or they just said I just needed to talk to you, and that's the blessing that I've always received. And uh, when we started giving years ago. Um, it was amazing things that fell into uh, order, like our house fell into order, our um, vacations fell into order. We were when we went on vacations that we never dreamed we could ever go on. Everything just happened, and and I I know it was because we blessed God, He blessed us back. And I don't mean that you have to pay God to bless you. You know, but he says, but I'll give you a magnitude of blessings if you do. And he does, and he did, all the time. And uh, you can tell him about the blessings we've just received. Well, I was going to say, because I always interrupt and say something, that, you know, like, when, when you give your tithe first off, and you find that you're out of money, and you need something like a car repair or something, uh, we've prayed about our car and God has fixed it, you know? Um, the house that we just moved into, well, now two years ago, but um, it's like in, an incredible blessing. When Dennis was sick, there was a miracle every single day because of the faithfulness of this church praying for him, for us really, because the prayers helped me a lot. And I just think that, um, I know we're talking about money right now, but um, faithfulness is a whole bunch of stuff. And it includes friendship, and it includes works, and um, prayer, and that's what we find here 
at North Avenue. Yeah, it's when we came home after a two-year layoff, uh, I turned to Jan and I said, where do you want to go? And she says, I want to go back to North. And I said, why? And she says, because it's family. Sure. And you know, and it's, you know, I've, we've been to other churches and they've been family, but not like this, yeah. not like this. We, we had people knocking on our doors, giving us food. Uh, it was just a blessing every day. And it was one of those blessings that you, that we considered as great blessings, not just good blessings, but great blessings from God, you know? So I guess that's our testimonies. Amen. <clears throat> so glad to have uh, Pastor Dennis and his lovely wife share that with us. Um, Dennis referred to the time that he used to work here and how we used to have so much fun and we even occasionally got something done. I'm not sure that we actually did. Uh, a lot of, when Dennis retired, a lot of the fun left with him because he was definitely one of those people that kept things lively and interesting. So we appreciate him and their testimony of faith as well. Uh, <clears throat> today, we are wrapping up this series um, from the book, of, uh, the book of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, inspired by that book. We've been talking about real Christian community, and we've been talking specifically over the last six weeks, and this is the seventh, um, about some ministries that we can participate in and do for and with each other that will help us to, be, to build um, real Christian community. And I did a recap last week, so if you want to hear them all in succession, you can kind of go back last week, and I did it right at the beginning, or you can go back to um, the, the services online, and you can watch each and every one and kind of get that, because they all kind of build on each other. And the one that we're going to talk about today continues to build on some of the others, as we will kind of relate here in just a moment. But this sermon, I have to be honest with you, is very heavy for me. Um, in fact, I, I may say this a few times, but I think maybe today might be more for me than it is for you. But it's my sincere hope that as God works on my heart, that he will work on yours as well. Because the, the uh, ministry that we're going to talk about today is the ministry of authority. The ministry of authority. The ministry of people in the body of Christ accepting authority to basically help guide and lead the body of Christ in the direction that God has called it to go. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer has some very specific things to say about that, but as always, he begins with a scripture, and so that's where I, I want to kind of begin. Mark chapter 10, verse 43, is one of the conversations of Jesus with his disciples about um, who is going to be the greatest. You know, they were always coming up with these conversations about, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be him? Is it going to be who? And so you'd almost think from listening to some of the stories that Jesus told that these guys were more brothers than they were just companions, right? Because they fought a lot about different stuff. But in this situation, Jesus shares with them this. He, he kind of prefaces the statement that we're going to read together by saying, listen, and you know that among the people of the world, you know, the, the great lorded over the meek, and, and it's the people who are important who lord their power over those who don't have any power. But then he goes on to make this statement. But among you, he says, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you, or in other words, a person who is willing to accept authority among you, must be your servant. 
in order to be a leader, you must become a servant. Real biblical authority is attained by serving, by doing things for other people, by serving your brother and sister in Christ. This is the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer kind of phrases it. I want to read you a few quotes from him, and then we'll kind of delve in a little bit deeper. Jesus made authority, according to Bonhoeffer, in the fellowship, in this real Christian community, dependent upon what he called brotherly service. In other words, that doesn't mean that I become your slave or you become my slave, but that together, because we love each other and because the foundation has been laid between us of relationship, we serve each other as brothers would serve brothers. And I'm talking about brothers that get along and like each other, not brothers that fight all the time. Amen? Some of you don't have brothers, obviously. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But this idea of brotherly service between each other. He goes on to say this too. Genuine spiritual authority is to be found only where the ministries of hearing and helping and bearing and proclaiming are being carried out. So once again, as he talks about this ministry, he's basically saying you're only going to find real spiritual authority where the ground has been laid or the foundation has been laid or, or the ground has been plowed so that the seeds can be planted by these other ministries that help endear us to each other and build the kind of community that will allow us to be under authority as as well as in authority over others in a way that builds community instead of destroying it. And and so he basically says, listen, if you want to build a foundation that authority can thrive under, then you need to continue to do these other things as well. And so all of these ministries contribute into this ministry of authority. The genuine source of authority is service. And, And unfortunately, it's altogether unimpressive to those who do not follow Jesus. The world will never, well, I shouldn't say never, it will seldom give authority to a person who is serving rather than being served. That's just not the way the world works. The second thing that that Bonhoeffer says is that real biblical authority is accepted and not taken, and I think I touched on this a few weeks ago. Real biblical authority can only be attained by those who do not seek power, but see themselves as under the authority of Christ and his word, just like everybody else. In other words, if if you seek authority over everybody else and you believe yourself to be the authority, you will never find true Christian authority. Before someone like myself, who has been placed in authority over a church, can ever receive real Christian authority from the people that, that give it to us, I must first understand that I am a person who is under authority myself. Jesus said it this way. He said, listen, all the things that I say and all the things that I do, these are not from me. I don't have the authority to say things to you unless my heavenly Father has told me to say them. That's what Jesus said. He said, I don't do things of my own accord. It is the Father who speaks through me and who speaks in me. And so even Jesus understood that he, as the Son of God, was under the authority of the Heavenly Father. And in the same way, those of us who would choose to lead in the church must first recognize that I am just as much under the authority of Christ as anybody else in this room. I am not a special case when it comes to that authority. Just like Ryan, just like Pat, who usually and was a minute ago sitting right over there, he disappeared. Who made Pat disappear? Anyway, he probably, he's already heard the sermon once, so he left. Carrie, Carrie, just like Carrie has authority. All of us sit 
in the end, under the same authority. And that authority is Jesus and his word and his example and God who works through him to communicate to us. Real biblical authority is accepted, not taken. Real biblical authority is given by people who have learned how to trust a person. You can't have authority without trust. Because in my view, biblical authority is authority that is given because those who are giving it have a degree of trust in the person that they're giving it to. Trust which is closely related to authority and upon which authority depends should be based on faithfulness, not on talents and abilities, not on our, our looks, not on our level of success, not on how much money we have or we can make, not on our ab ability to win an argument, not on our ability to be charismatic and, and get everybody to follow us. Trust should be based on faithfulness, not on popularity, not on talents and abilities. In today's world, I think we have a tendency to seek out the talented, and in the church of Jesus Christ, I think we have a, a tendency to seek out the talented and hope that they are trustworthy instead of the other way around. I believe in the church of Jesus Christ, we need to first look for people who are faithful and trustworthy and then allow God to work through them instead of, um, instead of um, doing what we do and looking for those who are always at the head of the class, who are head and shoulders above the rest like Saul in the Old Testament. We need to allow God to work through their faithfulness instead of simply looking for their talents. But you know what? In the church of Jesus Christ today, it is almost always the case that the masses will thrive after talents and abilities and charisma. People who can draw a crowd will always gather a crowd. But listen, in the church, it's not supposed to be that way. The New Testament description of a leader is what Bonhoeffer kind of goes to next because everything that he shares is always based on some scripture passage. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he shares some words. And I love the books of 1 and 2 Timothy because Paul is essentially talking to one of his younger uh, disciples who has essentially had to take over a church for him. I mean, I came here following Pastor Sparks who was very successful here for a lot of years. And it was incredibly intimidating to think, man, I got to follow a guy who's been here for 17 years and did so many great things for this church can you imagine being Timothy and having to follow the apostle Paul I mean that's just unbelievable and so Paul writes to Timothy so many good things and one of the things that he writes about is authority listen in in first Timothy 3 1 through 5 what he says this is a trustworthy saying he says if someone aspires to be a church leader in other words if someone is looking to receive authority from the church he desires an honorable position so a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control. He must live wisely and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. I don't know about that one. Um, anyway, we'll just go on. I'll work on that for you. And must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must not... Oh, that's the same one. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? <clears throat> I don't know about you. That's a pretty high standard. Does anybody measure up to that? 
Does anybody actually, is anybody actually able to do all of those things? Maybe, maybe not. But what I want you to focus on here with me is this. That nowhere in that description does he say that person should be able to, to gather a crowd around him. That person should be able to speak eloquently with words that, that tickle the ear and, and draw people in. That person should, should have all of these talents and abilities and charisma. All that he talks about there pretty much is the faithfulness of the person, the integrity of the person, and what they should be like. You might argue that teaching would be the one thing that he says they should be good at because obviously if you're going to be a leader in the church, one of the things you have to do is teach. But I want to remind you that teaching was different back then like than it is today. <laughs> what are you doing to me, boy? Chill. <laughs> He's quiet for a second. I'm going to keep talking. Teaching was different back then. When they taught in the synagogues, for instance, which is the context that Jesus was used to, the leader, the teacher, sat. He didn't stand. You know who stood? The people. Because you see, here was the thing. When they taught back then, it was assumed that it was the learner's responsibility to learn from the teacher who was responsible to teach. So if a teacher wasn't able to teach effectively, they didn't fire the teacher. They said to the learners, how come you're not learning? Does that make sense? That's kind of weird, isn't it? That's almost like today, us going into our schools and looking at our teachers and, and looking at the students they have and saying to the students, how come you're not learning from the teachers instead of firing the teachers because the students aren't learning? Now, make no mistake about it, there's certainly a balance there. There's certainly a piece that has to be present in both ways, but their understanding of teaching was that learning was a privilege, and if you went to hear a teacher speak and you didn't learn anything, it wasn't the teacher's fault, it was the learner's fault, because they considered it an honor and a privilege to follow someone as a disciple. And so if you look at it that way, probably even that wasn't really a skill that they said you should have, but more a willingness of what you were willing to do. And so what I'm saying, my friends, is this. Paul doesn't lay out this huge list of talents and abilities that a leader has to have. He says that the leader should be a person who is faithful, not necessarily talented. Listen to the way that... Um, Bonhoeffer kind of encapsulates and summarizes that statement. I'm going to have Amy put it on the screen because I want you to see it. He says this, the bishop, and again, the term bishop is not one we use in this fellowship, in this denomination, but it, it literally just means a leader in the church, so to speak. So don't let that trip you up. A bishop or a leader in the church is the simple, faithful man, sound in faith and life, who rightly discharges his duties to the church. His authority lies in the exercise of his ministry. But listen to this. In the man himself, there is nothing to admire. In other words, don't follow the man. Don't follow the person. Don't see the talents. Don't see the charisma. Don't see the abilities of a person. See a willing servant who is willing to follow Jesus and be faithful to the calling that God has placed on his life. That's who we should be following as a church. He goes on to make a very optimistic statement that he believes about the church, and I, again, want you to see it in front of you. In fact, I'm going to have Amy leave it up there the rest of the time because I want you to read it over and over again. 
Listen to what Bonhoeffer says, and then I'm just going to tell you right up front, I disagree with this statement. The church will place its confidence only in the simple servant of the word of Jesus Christ because it knows that then it will be guided not according to human wisdom and human conceit, but by the words of the good shepherd. My friends, I will say that it's wishful thinking. I called it a lie in first service. That's probably a little strong. But I believe Bonhoeffer is just thinking wistfully about what the church should be. Now, if you change the wording to say the church should place its confidence, I will agree with the statement wholeheartedly. But I disagree that we have. Let me read it again. The church will place its confidence only in the simple servant of the word of Jesus Christ because it knows that then it will be guided not according to human wisdom and human conceit, but by the word of the good shepherd. Here's the problem. I don't see that on anybody's resume today that's being hired by big ministries. I think churches are not looking for that. Churches are looking for somebody dynamic because when we go to hire as churches, we are looking for talents and abilities and hoping that the person is faithful instead of the other way around. I believe we've got to stop this. We've got to change this. This has to to change. And if you don't believe me, let me just share with you my experience. And again, today's message is a little bit lament. I'm just going to warn you. This is me lamenting because this whole idea sat on me heavily and let me tell you why because I believe and I know (laughs) hundreds of pastors all over the three states that I have served that are in small little churches that are completely out of the public eye that no one even knows are there but who fit the description that he has just given let me give you an example some examples of what they're like They are quiet, unassuming pastors. They're in generally small congregations because they do not in and of themselves have the ability to draw a crowd. You know the kind of pastor I'm talking about. Some of you have left churches where they served. They faithfully preach the gospel every single week, although they have no particular gift for doing so. That's a nice way of saying they really aren't good orators, okay? Okay. I, I was talking with some pastor friends of mine one time and, and somebody's name came up and they were being considered for a position and one of my friends, meaning no disrespect, said that guy can't preach his way out of a paper bag. <laughs> I thought it was kind of disrespectful myself so I didn't giggle at it then. And then I heard the guy preach once and you know what? He was right. And interestingly enough, I had a, a leader in the church a few years ago tell me that one of the best things he ever did as a leader of pastors in the church was to find pastors who were really good at loving people but weren't very good at preaching and buy them a book of sermons that were good and just tell them, here, use these. <laughs> because not everybody is gifted in that way. But they still make good pastors and leaders. Not everybody has that gift. Most of these pastors that I'm talking about are at the mercy of the people in their churches um, for musical talent because they probably don't have any. Now, they may or may not have married women who do or, or men who do because that was the old way, right? You hire the pastor for his preaching ability and if you're going to be a pastor, you better find a wife that plays the piano and sings well. How many of you grew up knowing that that was just a given? And when I went to my first church, they looked at Tori and said, do you play the piano? And she said no. She lied. 
You guys don't find that funny? I think it's hilarious. She had three years of piano lessons when she was a kid, but she didn't feel six years of piano lessons. She's deepening the wound right here, yeah? But she didn't feel capable because she knew what they were asking. Well, you're going to be our song leader and pianist and play the organ and take care of... No, that wasn't her. She sings like an angel, but she does not want to play the keys. I can't even get her to do it yet today. But that was the expectation. Why? Because they don't necessarily have those abilities. And so they're at the mercy of the churches that they're in and the talent that that church can produce. And some of you, again, have left churches because that talent level is at times pretty low. They visit those in the hospital, those who are sick, those who are shut in whenever it's needed. They have time for conversations when their people need to talk. They don't glad hand on Sunday morning because they understand they're not running for office, but they're always available to have a real conversation with you if you're willing. They, they have never been paid what they are worth and are largely overlooked by the world around them. They know because they are intelligent that the churches that they're serving are declining and maybe even dying. But they serve nonetheless, believing that faithfulness is their reward. I have known many pastors like this who faithfully, day in and day out, show up at a building that 12 to 20 people will come to on a Sunday knowing that their days are limited. Now, let me be clear about a couple of things. First and foremost, the fact that a church is small and a pastor is older or steady does not necessarily mean that pastor has been faithful. That, that's not to be inferred. I just happen to know a lot of small church pastors who don't have the glitz and the shine who are faithfully serving God in those posts. Nor does this mean that people who are flashy and talented and, and are leading grand enterprises are not being faithful. I'm not saying that's the case. What I'm saying is that we often, as people, both in the church and, quite honestly, in society, when we are looking for leaders to trust, we look for flash and not faithfulness. That's what I'm saying. I've known hundreds of small church pastors like this in all my travels, and one of them was actually my pastor when I was growing up. His name was Chuck, not to be confused with this Chuck. I loved him. My family loved him. Our church loved him, or so I thought. He served there for the whole time that I can pretty much remember growing up. So when I looked at him, he was literally the only example of a pastor I ever knew because my parents were rooted in that church. They weren't leaving. After a, that pastor went on and another pastor came, almost everybody in the church left. I think there was 25 people left. My mother was still there trying to make it go. I uh, followed him I was never impressed with his sermons. In fact, I don't remember a word he said from the pulpit. But you know what I do remember? I remember seeing an image of him preaching behind that big old wooden pulpit in that church with tears streaming down his face because he felt the weight of what he was sharing so deeply. I remember him sitting beside the bed of 
of grandparents and other people in the church when they needed him. I remember my mom having conversations with him and and him lovingly helping my mother to come to terms with things she was frustrated with. I remember him being a pastor to the people at that church. And then one day, I heard the first piece of gossip in my young life come from the lips of a leader in that church. We were on a trip to go see a concert. I was riding with another person. He was an older man from the church, one of our elders, I believe, and someone I respected deeply. And I was young, probably eight or nine years old at the time, maybe a little older than that, I don't remember. But I remember him and the person in the front seat having a conversation about our church and some of the things that were going on. And this statement stuck in my brain more than anything else. He said something to the effect of this, we need to get someone in this church who can preach. That old Chucky, speaking of our senior pastor, that old Chucky just puts everybody to sleep. And I got to tell you, as a kid, that messed me up. Because I respected these folks and I didn't know what was going on. So I went home and I asked my mother. I, I garnered the courage to say to my mom, Hey, I heard something in the car today. What's going on? Is Pastor leaving? What's, what's happening here? And I told her what this man said. And she got really stern. <laughs> Some of you might say angry. If my mother was anything, she was loyal. And the next time I saw this gentleman... In the church, he walked straight up to me and said, Young man, it's come to my attention through my mom that I may have offended you by something that I said. I'm, I'm very sorry. It'll never happen again. And he walked away. And I remember thinking in my limited young understanding, You haven't offended me. It's not me you should be apologizing to. You've offended the man who stands in that pulpit every Sunday delivering the word of God. Okay, I might not have phrased it in my young life that much, that, that way, but I understood what was happening. Several years later, our pastor, whom we loved, retired a year early because he was so tired of dealing with that kind of criticism and people trying to undercut his ministry in spite of those who loved him there. You know why? Because they wanted somebody flashy. They wanted somebody younger. They wanted somebody who could preach and maybe even do music on the side. They wanted somebody who could speak eloquently and who could wow a crowd. They wanted somebody who could deliver on church growth because that was all the buzz back then. And because of that, the man I loved went into retirement. Listen. I believe as a people we've got to do better because I've seen it over and over again at our general assemblies where we meet together as pastors at the state level and we honor the pastors who have died in that year that some of the pastors that are dying and leaving churches behind and are going into their glory are people I've never even heard the names of because everybody has forgotten who they are. We need to do better. As a church, we need to offer trust and authority to those who are faithful and who have integrity, not just to people who are talented or charismatic or can catch our eye because they've had so much plastic surgery. I'm not at all talking about Joel Osteen. 
come on, man. Listen. We've got to stop looking at the outward appearance as God told Samuel to do with David and look upon the heart and see past the head and shoulders above like Saul was and and see the heart of a shepherd in, in David that was willing to be faithful to God. That's a whole other story and I don't have time, but friends, I believe authority is important in the church. There needs to be people who are offered trust to lead the church so that we can follow Jesus, but those who lead in the church need to understand that they too are under authority first and foremost, and then they are allowed to have authority by those who they lead. And as people who follow, We need to be willing to give authority to those who are leading us, but only once we have determined that they are trustworthy people who are willing to be faithful in every way and to to sit under authority themselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as a person, not as a pastor, I'm sitting on the stool because I don't want to seem too authoritative today. As a person and not your pastor, because God forbid, I, I may not be your pastor forever. I don't know what the future holds. I, you know, there but for the grace of God, I might be sitting beside you in the pew listening to somebody else preach. I'm just a person like you are who's trying to follow Jesus. And I want to talk to you as that person, not as a pastor right now. And I want to give you two pieces of advice. If you're going to offer authority to someone, offer authority to the faithful, not the flashy. I even put it in a concise statement so you can remember it. Offer authority to the faithful not to the flashy. And trust God that he can take someone who's faithful and develop the talents and abilities within them to do the work that needs to be done. Because I gotta tell you, this guy right here had none of the talents that you see me using up here in front ever when I first answered the call to ministry. I was just a kid who had no idea how to put a sermon together and God had to work a lot in me to get me to where I am today. So don't look at me and think, oh, well, you're talented at speaking. No, I'm not. I have the gift of gab. Let's be honest. It is only the grace of God that allows me to use something that God created me with to do something good for his kingdom. And he has the same ability to work with you. Offer authority to the faithful, not the flashy. Don't look for talent, in other words. Look for faithfulness. Don't settle for talent. Second thing, I kind of talked over it already. Don't settle for talent. And if you aspire to be a leader and you are talented, good for you. But understand that your humble service, it is your humble service that matters the most. That's what qualifies you to lead in real Christian community. Again, I'm not saying talented people aren't faithful. God needs talented people. And I got news for you. You all are talented people. You don't have the same talents, but you're all talented in some way. God uses the talents of people, but first and foremost, he needs to see a heart that is willing to follow him and to handle authority with the kind of humility that will allow them to lead a church in the direction they should go and establish real Christian community. So if you are aspiring to be a leader in the church, don't ever let the lack of talent hold you back because God needs you to help lead his church. And he will develop within you the gifts and abilities and the talents that he needs as time goes forward. I believe that someday, if God needs Tori to play the piano or the keyboard, it'll be there. 
She's giving me a dirty look right now, just so y'all know. And I believe, this is going to go to next week or two weeks from now, I believe if God wants to pay off a mortgage, he hasn't given me the gift of, of abundance. But he'll find a way to work through me to see it happen in some small way. And maybe in some of you in a bigger way. I don't know. It's up to us to be faithful. And it's up to us to honor the faithful as they serve. Pray with me. God, after first service, I thought you were done talking to me, so just stop it. <laughs> but I... Again, God, my heart aches for so many servants of yours who have toiled their whole lives in small churches that have been abandoned and forgotten by society as a whole. I recognize that in each of those churches there is probably a small band of faithful people who continue to see the value in that pastor and to lift them up in prayer and to serve them and follow them as, as they're supposed to. But Lord, so many small church pastors didn't survive COVID because their churches just couldn't handle the loss. There are so many out there serving even today that are just looking for some glimmer of hope that maybe new life will come into their church and every time a person under the age of 60 walks in the door, they just go crazy thinking this might be the beginning of something great for them and Lord, I've been in that place. I pray God right now that you would encourage the heart of every pastor that is faithfully serving you regardless of the size of their congregation or the talents that they have. And may they, before they get to heaven, hear somebody say, well done, good and faithful servant so that their hearts would be encouraged to go on and help us to be the kind of church that will always empower leaders that are faithful and not just talented. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.